just a few minutes, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8 this morning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you'd like to go ahead and find your way there in um, the Bible app or, or using the Bible, or um, it's on our website as well. We, we have that um, already uh, stuck in there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. This morning is what we are going to look at. Perhaps you look at this sermon title and you are thinking, why in the world are we having a sermon on what is the gospel? Doesn't everyone already know what the gospel is? And unfortunately, that's not the case. At least not even everybody in churches. For example, 91% of the world's population has heard of Coca-Cola. 74% have seen Coca-Cola. 51% have tasted Coca-Cola. Yet 10% of the world's population has heard the gospel. A survey by the Barna Group suggests that there's widespread confusion about the gospel, even among churchgoers who feel responsible for Spreading the gospel. We say that that's our job is to spread the gospel. Almost half of the respondents in the Barna research, 46% say they have a personal responsibility to explain their beliefs to others. That's great. That's what we, we want to hear. We want to hear that it is our responsibility to explain our beliefs to others. Most of those evangelizers, 81% of them believe that the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings and that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. 94%, but 48% of the evangelizers also believe that if people are generally good or do enough good things for others, they will earn places in heaven. So they say they believe the Bible, but yet when it comes to practice, they don't practice the Bible because they think that if they're good enough, they will surely earn their way to heaven. And we know this to be true. I've, I can't tell you how many times I hear parents tell their children that they have to be good, and that's what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not the gospel. There's plenty of reason for churches to worry if nearly half of their people who believe in evangelism also believe in salvation by works, said George Barna, president of the Barna Research Group, the central message of Protestantism is in salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, yet many Protestant evangelizers seem to be preaching a completely different message. Respondents from mainline Protestant churches tended to believe in salvation by works more frequently than those from evangelical churches, yet pastors from mainline churches seem more confident in their members' ability to evangelize. Almost 46% of mainline pastors believe their congregations are qualified to present the gospel, while only one-fourth, 24% of Baptist pastors believe that their people are qualified to present the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, why don't we take a look at one of the key passages of Scripture that I'm going to use kind of for this launching pad of, of this sermon 
and see what the gospel is. So I'd ask that if you're willing and able, would you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, where we read, For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's pray. Father, take this word this morning. Teach us. What is the gospel? Lord, we proclaim to be people of the book. Help us to live as people of the book. And others would hear the gospel from our own lips. And they would respond. And you would do a mighty work amongst our people. Speak. For your saints are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Paul's making it clear that there are some central points of the gospel. They are the death of Christ for our sins, the burial of Christ, and the visibly visible bodily resurrection of Christ. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is the gospel? I mean, many times we miss this very important truth. So that's why I want to take some time this morning to make sure that we're getting the gospel right. So the first thing I want to share with you this morning is what the gospel is not. What the gospel is not. In fact, some people think that the gospel is behavior modification. That they, if, if only I become a better person or only if only I learn to be a more moral person, then somehow that's going to make me acceptable to God and He will let me into heaven because I'm a good person or a, a better person or a more moral person. Some think it's taking the life of Jesus as a model way to live or transforming or redeeming the secular realm. Some think it's just uh, living these highly communal lives with one another and sharing generously in communities who practice the way of Jesus in their local culture. They think that's the gospel. If I, if I live my life like a Christian, then other people will see that and they will somehow miraculously know the gospel. And these are all good things. But they're not the gospel. We can't confuse them with the gospel. They... They should accompany the gospel. They should be separated from the gospel. And God may use them to authenticate the gospel and make our proclamation of the gospel more fertile and hardened hearts, but they are not to be viewed as the gospel because they're not the gospel. The essential points of the gospel is the second thing I want us to see. So first we see what the gospel is not. It's not about me having this changed life or me living a life in such a way that 
people say, oh, well, that guy must be a Christian because there's plenty of moral people out there that aren't believers. So, so that's not the gospel. But now I want us to see, secondly, the essential points of the gospel. The gospel is about what Christ has done for us and not about what we can do for Him. It has nothing to do with what you can do for Him. He's God. Do you think He really needs anything from you? He's, he's not up in heaven. Oh boy, I sure wish that, that I could get Josh Monda to do this. He's God. He doesn't need anything from me. I, I can offer, I have nothing to offer God. The gospel is the good news about what Christ the Savior has already done. What He's already done for us in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection. Rather than this instruction and advice about what you are going to be able to do for God. Christ's accomplishments, not ours, above all, the gospel of Christ brings good news rather than instruction about our behavior. It's not about, hey, let me, the, the gospel is about me modifying my behavior. No! It's all what Christ has done for us. In short, the gospel is the life-altering news that Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, became a man, lived a sinless life under the law, died for sinners, rose again to reconcile them to himself, and eternally is victorious over every enemy that stood between God and man. Now because of this redemptive work, there is nothing that separates those who believe from their Creator and all the benefits that He promises to us. The essential points of the Gospel are as follows. There's no fill in the blanks here for you. I just put them in your bulletin. They're in the Bible app. They're on our website. Here's the essential points of the Gospel. Number one, the one and only God who is holy made us in His image to know Him. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 make this abundantly clear that God created us to know Him. That we were created to have fellowship with God. And Adam and Eve did have fellowship with God, right? Came, talked with Him, spent time with Him. Adam and everything was created perfectly. But we know there was a problem. Point number two. We sinned and cut ourselves off from God. Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 3 make this abundantly clear that we are sinners and because of our sin, we've cut ourselves off from God. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they cut themselves off from God. They no longer had fellowship with God like they once had. Point number three. In His great love, God sent His Son Jesus to come as king and rescue his people from their enemies. Most significantly came to rescue them from their sin. Psalm chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 69. God sent his son. His name was Jesus. He came as king. Not the king that everybody thought he was going to come in his first coming. That would be his second coming. But he came as king to rescue his people from their sin. Point number four. Jesus established his kingdom by acting as both the mediating priest and a priestly sacrifice. He was both. 
He lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of many. Mark 10, 45. John 1, 14. Hebrews 7, 26. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Romans 5, 12 through 21. And then he rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. Acts 2, 24. Romans 4, 25. Jesus mediates between us and God. And he's our sacrifice. Point number five. He now calls us to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. Acts 17.30, John 1.12. And if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we're born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. John 3.16. That's the gospel. That's the five points of the gospel. That, that, that there's only one God. He's holy. He created us in His image to know Him. But we mess everything up because we're a bunch of sinners. And we cut ourselves off from God. But in God's great love, we thought the plan was thwarted. It wasn't thwarted. God in His great love for us sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue His people from their sin. And then Jesus establishes His kingdom as a mediating priest and as a sacrifice. He went to the cross. He died the death. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again, ascended into heaven, conquered death and grave and the grave forever. And He calls on you and I to come to know Him, to repent of our sin so that we may live with Christ forever. That's the gospel. There are several ways that people summarize the gospel. All kinds of ways. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's uh, Bill uh, Sexton's teaching one of them on Wednesday nights, part of their Wednesday night thing, which you can join in if you want to. Uh, there's Bill Faye's How to Share the Gospel Without, Without an Argument. That's a, that's a great method. There's the, you know, the four spiritual laws. There's the uh, bad news, good news. There's all kinds of ways that people share the gospel. There's the bridge illustration where you draw a little bridge. If you want want to know more about that, I will draw it for you later. You say, hey, what's that bridge illustration? I'll show you how to do that. There's all kinds of ways. There's three circles, which we've talked about and did a whole evangelism training on. Choose your one. I mean, all these ways to share the gospel. I like what Dare to Share used to do. I was a student pastor for a long time. And, and they just used words. We can remember these four words. It's the easiest way, one of the easiest ways, I think, to share the gospel. God. God is the creator of all things, including us. Genesis 1.1. He's perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and he will punish sin. 1 John 1.5, Revelation 4.11, Romans 2.5 and 8. Word number two, man. All people. Though they were created good, have become sinful by their very nature. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Psalm 51, 5, Romans 3, 23. From birth, all people are alienated from God. They're hostile to God, and they're subject to the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. God, man, Christ. Jesus Christ, who fully is fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man, lived a sinless life, he died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in Him and rose from the grave in order to give His people eternal life. John 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 2.5, Hebrews 7.26, Romans 3.21-26, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Corinthians 15.20-21. 20, God, 
man, Christ responds. God calls everyone to repent of their sins, trust in Christ to be saved. Mark 1 15, Acts 20 21, Romans 10 9 and 10. Why go through this? Doesn't everybody in the church know the gospel? And we could go on and on and, and people could complain, blah, 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 blah. Pastor preached another gospel message. I don't want to take anything for granted. I have some questions I want you to think about this morning. If you're online listening or you listen later, you know, think about these questions. I want you to internalize these questions. I don't need you to answer them. I just want you to think about them. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? If you had 24 hours to live, doctor comes to you and says you're going to be dead at this time tomorrow. What would you do? Who would you want to spend that time with? Is there anyone you would want to talk to? Would you have any regrets of what you've been doing lately or how you've lived your life? What would be the most important thing to you if you had 24 hours left to live? What would you do with 24 hours? Question number two. If your best friend only had 24 hours to live, what would you do? They come to you and they say, at this time, tomorrow, I'll be dead. I have 24 hours. What would you talk to them about? What would you say to them? What conversation would you have? Church, I want you to understand the gospel is urgent. The gospel is urgent. And that's point number three. The urgency of the gospel. We cannot treat it like we have all the time in the world. We cannot pretend like the gospel is not really the most important thing. I would hope that if we had 24 hours left to live, we really wouldn't care what anybody thought about us, right? We're going to be dead in 24 hours. It's not going to matter what so-and-so thinks if I tell them about Jesus. Big whoop-de-doo. What's the worst thing that they can do? I'm going to be dead. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter if they say, well, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Okay. I would hope that if we're believers, that if we had 24 hours left to live, we would want everybody to know the truth that we have. Here's the problem, is we don't live like that. Right? We live like we have all kinds of time. And we put off tomorrow what we should be doing today. So I want us to see the urgency. I want to share with you five specific points on the urgency of the gospel. And I, I chose to do this message because I don't want there to be any mistake about whose you are, and I don't want there to be any mistake about what you and I are here for. I personally needed to be clear to you that, that we want people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
We want to see people saved. I believe that's our purpose. I believe that's why we do ministry. In addition to that, I believe that we have this responsibility to disciple those who come to know, to uh, come to know Christ, to teach them what the Bible uh, says, to take on the knowledge and impact their culture that's around them. With that said, I want to share with you five details that Scripture makes to us abundantly clear. And I'm going to use the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, to do that. Hebrews 9, 27. One verse I want to share with you and draw five applicational points out of Hebrews 9, 27. So if you come to the end of this sermon and say, well, what's pastor uh, want us to do? I want you to understand what Hebrews 9, 27 says when it comes to the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Point number one, death is certain. Death is certain. It's appointed unto man once to die. We could say mankind. Here's the thing. We all die. We all die. We're part of the ultimate statistic. Ray Comfort used to say, say, 10 out of 10 people die. Eventually, someone will fill out a death certificate. They will pick out a coffin or whatever they're going to do because we all die. The only question we have is when. That's it. We will all die. We just don't know when we will die. What we will all die. I shared last week about my father on Facebook. Some of you read that and commented on it. My dad was an alcoholic growing up. He was a, a drunkard. He was abusive to, to my brothers, to my mom. That's all I ever knew him as. I remember him quitting his job right before Christmas and my mom, uh, some of you have seen my mom. She's five foot nothing. She took the Christmas tree and she threw it out of the trailer that we were living in at the time. We lived in a single-wide trailer, and she just pitched that tree out of the trailer. said, fine, I guess we won't have Christmas. My dad hitchhiked somewhere and bought those big round candy canes and put them on the TV and thought that that would make everything better, and it did not. And that's how I grew up. Eventually, they got a divorce. Never heard from him. But in my heart, I knew I had to forgive my dad. Eventually, I did. And then right before we were moving to Pennsylvania to, to take on a student ministry position out there, I got an email from my dad saying, um, saying that he somehow got my email address and wanted to know if... if he could write me, and, and I said, yeah, and he wrote me a letter and asked me if I'd ever be able to forgive me, and one of the best letters I was able to write was to my dad and say, Dad, I forgave you a long time ago. I love you. I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, and I wrote down the gospel of Jesus Christ to my father and asked him to receive Christ as his Savior. He wrote back and said, I have already received Christ. God changed his life. 
We were making plans to go see him when we were living in Pennsylvania. And I got a phone call on a Wednesday night right before you threw from one of my uncles. He told me my dad had been shot for $11. And dead. His grandkids never got to see him. I never got to know my dad saved. Death is certain. You will check out. Almost seven years ago to the day, I was having conversations not long before that with a friend of mine that was in student ministry with me. He was helping me out. The day I was telling him that I was moving to Washington, Illinois, it was so hard for me to tell him because we were close and, and I had been pouring my life into this young man and, and was hoping that you know God would call him into ministry. And I said to him, we just finished our run together. I said, Chris, I got something I have to tell you. He said, oh, I got something I got to tell you too. He said, well, you go first. And I didn't want to go first because I was getting ready to tell this man that I'm moving away. But I did, and I told, said, Chris, I'm, I've accepted a position as pastor in Washington, Illinois. And he said, I feel like God's calling me into student ministry. And I prayed with him, and I stayed in touch with him for a small amount of time. And some of you guys know that I was at Super Summer um, teaching students, and I got a phone call late one night. Chris has been in a terrible accident with his youth group. They don't know if he's going to make it. 4 a.m. I got another call. He didn't make it. Left behind his wife who was pregnant and her 16-month-old daughter. Death is certain. We don't know when we're going to check out. Death is certain. One of our deacons was having a cleanup. Cut down some trees. Some guys went over, decided we'd help them out. George said, where's your bathroom? He pointed him where it was at. He was gone for 30 minutes. Oh, that's strange. I go to the door. George, you in there? No response. Go back outside. Get some people to come in. The owner of the house says, break it down. We broke down the door and there was George. Gone. The hardest day of ministry. Tony and his wife, their husband's gone. Death is certain. You will check out. And you don't know when. Death is certain, church. Death will happen. We don't control it. We don't know when. But we will all die. Secondly, we have an enemy. Not only is death certain, but someone is out to kill us. Even without an enemy, life can be like running in a minefield, right? 
It's, it's hard. We have hard times. We have difficult times. We have things that we're like, what in the world is going on? But we have an enemy that's trying to kill us. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy in John chapter 10, verse 10. I don't know if you've ever set a mouse trap or not, or if you've ever got that wonderful experience of setting up your little mouse trap. I was watching the show on Discovery Channel one time, and it was all about these guys in New York City that, that went around setting mouse traps, and some of them had fancy ones and regular ones and all kinds of craziness to try to catch all these mice in New York City. And you know what I've discovered? Is sometimes the mouse gets the cheese. And sometimes he dies trying. Right? That's the way it happens. And listen, we have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And if you play on Satan's turf, you need to know that he's out to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take everything from you. But we say, well, I want this. I want that. I want to have this, and I want to have that. I want to be famous. I want to have money. I want to have a nice house. I want to have a nice car. I want to have a nice job. I want everybody to like me. I want this, 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 and this. And we just want all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but what is it worth? Are you willing to gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Listen, we have an enemy. Death is certain. We have an enemy. Thirdly, after this. After this. This is the key to the whole passage of Scripture. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this. What does after this mean? After death. After death, what happens? The judgment. Listen, here is the deal. You have one life to live, and when it's gone, you will be judged. There's no coming back. There's no reincarnation. This is it. There is no second chance. There is no, oh, maybe I can believe later on. You can't die and then decide after you're dead to, to, to make up your mind about Jesus Christ or to, to live differently. You can't say, oh, I made a mistake. I realize that now. I guess I better, better believe in Christ because after death, it's too late. If you don't know Christ, you will be condemned to an eternal hell. God's word is clear. That if we reject Jesus and die, we end up in hell. Here's the thing. Hell is not a place where we go and party like we see on, on television and on movies. And it's not a place where there's some dude in a red suit with a pointy little fork that, that's poking people. That's not hell. It's not where we go and hang out with our friends and we have a good old time. It's a place of conscious torment. It means that you know exactly what's going on. According to Matthew, it's a furnace of fire where there's weeping and gnashing, the grinding of teeth because of the pain. That's hell. You're, you're in so much pain and you just, you can't stand it. And it's forever. According to Mark, it's where the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. Your skin is crawling. And you can do nothing about it. And Revelation says there will be the torment with fire and brimstone. And just in case you are wondering, it is eternal. Revelation 14.11 speaks of the smoke and the torment going on forever, day and night. It does not stop. It's forever. After this. There's good news, right? Point number four. 
we have a Savior. Isn't it great news? You don't have to enter into hell. Because Jesus came to give you life. I am come that you may have life. And life more abundantly, John 10, 10 tells us. Jesus has come to give you life, life to the fullest. He's paid the price that you could not pay. He's come to give your life meaning, to give you the life that you could only dream of. He's come and paid the price for you. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we deserve every single thing that we get on this earth and in the life to come. When we go to hell, it's not because, oh, well, God rejected us. It's because we rejected God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, He paid the price. He paid the price we couldn't pay. He became the sacrificial lamb that we could not be. He was sinless and perfect and spotless, and we murdered Him on the cross. Paid the price for me. Romans 10, 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, not should be, not may be, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fifth, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. You decide. Do I believe this gospel or not? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I'm not even asking you if you walked down an aisle one time. I'm not even asking you if you said the sinner's prayer. Do you believe this gospel? Are you trying to work your way to heaven? Do you believe this gospel? If you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? Would you have any regrets? Maybe you have regrets from stuff you've done within the last hour. Would you have regrets? Listen to me carefully. Every second, every single second, 1.8 people die. Every minute, 106.6 people die. Every hour, 6,392.7 people die. Every day, 153,424.7 people die. Every month, 4,679,000. 452 people die every year. 56 million people die. 
You ever wonder? Do they know Jesus? Just in that statement, how many people died? You don't know when your time's up. You don't know when their time's up. You can die at any second. Are you ready? You say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. A few things. Jesus doesn't need you to believe in Him to exist. His existence is not dependent upon your belief in Him. There are very few people who deny the existence of a historical Jesus. So we know He existed. Then we're forced to say, "Is who is He? He's either the Lord as He claimed to be, or He's a liar and deceived all these people with all of His lies, and He was never found out, or He's a lunatic and again was able to deceive millions of people. Every scenario about Jesus is false, other than Jesus is Lord, as the Scripture claims for Him to be. And perhaps you'd say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Yet it was written by over 40 different authors from all walks of life over the span of 1,500 years and is unified in its message. The Bible is the only holy book that contains accurate, predictive prophecy because the God of the Bible is the only one that knows the future. The Bible's message gives the answer to eternal life. Listen to me. Death is certain. We have an enemy. Judgment is coming. But we have a Savior. Do you know Him? You can. You can trust in Christ today. Place your hope in Him by praying something like this. You can just pray online. You can pray in your seat. You can pray, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's Son and died to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not magic. It's our trust in Christ that saves us. It's saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you. believe who you are. I believe you came to save me from my sin. If you said that prayer or something like it this morning, I'd love to follow up with you. If you want to know more, you can come forward. If you're online, you can text the word faith to 309-328-3488. You can do that in your pew. You can do that from wherever you're at, from a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, just text that number, 309-328-3488. If you know Christ, I'd ask you this. How committed are you? How committed are you? D.A. Carson writes, $3 worth of gospel, please. He says, I'd like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted to it. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself 
Don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. From church. Unfortunately, I think many Christians want a $3 gospel. Don't you settle for that. Don't you settle for a $3 gospel. Don't you change the gospel of Jesus Christ to suit your desires. Be a Christian that has not only received the gospel, but when you ask yourself, what would I do with 24 hours, that your answer would be, I would run into the streets and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ with my last dying breath until I took my last. And may we not just say it, but may we do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you. God, for the greatest gift that you would send your son to die for me. I can't even fathom it. I can't even wrap my mind around it. A filthy wretch. There's nothing good in me. You sent your son to die for me, to transform me into your child. your saint like you do all believers. And Lord, I pray this morning for those that may have heard this message and for the first time the gospel was made clear. God, maybe they've been church members for a long time. But they've never truly surrendered their life to Christ. Maybe they've done a lot of good works. Maybe they've lived a moral life. Maybe they believed in God, but they've never received Christ as their Savior. God, would you use these words to bring conviction to the hearts of the people that need Christ this morning? Do you draw them to yourself? Lord, I pray for our church. Oh God, forgive us for our failures. Forgive us for not taking the gospel seriously. Forgive us for just going through our life. Not thinking about do these people know Jesus. Convict us, God. People are dying every second of every minute. 
of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. Millions. How many of them don't know? We just take it for granted. Oh, that we be your light. I pray if you've spoken to us that we would respond whatever way that looks like. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, we be one to come this morning.